They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. And sexy. Is that goat boy? Them other boys don't know how to. Yeah, I do. I think behind your I'm sorry. So turn around and I'll pick up your. I can't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, welcome everybody. It's your favorite podcast. <laughs> Thoughts that rock. We should do an entire episode. <laughs> we should. In goat language. That's right. Listen, we're here to give you some some nuggets of wisdom. We hope we're going to do it. Eh, maybe thirty minutes or so. Whatever, whatever fits the whatever the audience. Works. You know, it's what I'm really because of the guests. That's exactly honest. right. That's where we put our blame. That's exactly right. Listen, you know, just a quick reminder: it doesn't matter what format you're using to listen to the show. You could be on Libsyn. Yep. Or Castbox or Simple Cast, which is what, what we use. Doesn't matter. It'd be great if uh, you like the show. You could just take a moment to give us a rating and a review. That would be awesome and helps us sort of grow the show. In fact, we would right now just love to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Okay. And there you go. We have Thank no sponsors. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Listen, Thoughts That Rock, we do this to support the work of Cannonball Kids at Cancer. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is one of our just organizations that we've started with when we started the whole podcast. We donate um, as much money as we possibly can to them. The work they do, they actually help find options for kids who've run out of options that are battling pediatric cancer. We would love for you to find out a little bit more. You can check them out online at cannonballkidscancer.com. Org. Those guys are amazing. They are. Listen, we know how busy you are, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I would assume life is coming at you at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and just taking a moment to step out of your world and yeah. get a little bit of self-help, a little mm. bit of knowledge, a little bit of leadership. We get Sounds it. Good. Those are hard to come by, right? These yep. leadership nuggets, we like to say. Yep. But it doesn't really matter what you're doing right now. Doesn't. You could be listening to the show, but also you could be doing something else. You could yep. be, I don't know, bowling by yourself with the rails up. <laughs> Maybe you're writing a ridiculous alimony check to your ex-wife. Or maybe you're catching catfish with a stick and some bread. Where's my hand? Doesn't really matter to us. We just want to be the 30 minutes that you've been looking forward to all week. Let's do this. Let's rock. Our guest today is John Register, who is a Persian Gulf War veteran, a two-time Paralympian silver medalist, a TEDx motivational speaker, a podcaster, a best-selling author. Have, have we propped him up enough, Brandt? I, uh, I'm feeling very little about myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> John, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Oh, wow. I am so honored to be on the show. You guys are just making 
such great inroads in spaces and, and helping so many people and changing their lives so thank you for having me on no uh, well thank you we know that you do the same in fact uh, i was very lucky to see you on one of your your tedx talks and uh which is blown away just by your story and and you know of course we'll have john's entire bio in the show notes um you should absolutely check it out just a, a couple of real quick cool highlights I, I i did a couple of those at the very top but john served six years in the u.s army including in desert shield and desert storm he won nine gold medals in the armed services competition in two world military championships. He is, um, you know, unfortunately a, an amputee horrifically became an amputee following a misstep over a hurdle while he was training for the 96 Olympic games, a story, you know, he shares in that TEDx talk that I saw at least. And, uh, he started swimming during his recovery and wound up being on the U S Paralympic team ultimately won a silver medal in the long jump, which set an American record at the games in Sydney. He founded the U S Olympic committee military sport program in the early two thousands. I've seen pictures with him and Obama and, you know, Michelle Obama. I mean, he's, he's pretty well versed at knowing a lot of people that, uh, make a difference in our lives and recently launched a book entitled 10 stories to impact any leader journal your way to leadership success. And again, I, Hope he talks about that while we're on the show. But we're just thrilled, John, that you had a, a moment to to be on the show. And I think you probably know that we do things a little bit different here. We're not going to yeah. go do the traditional interview style and uh, spend an hour on the background. I really, I do hope people, even though we we sort of said a lot there in the intro, I do hope they take a look at your bio. We just want to get right to your piece of advice. So we're going to leave the floor open to you, my friend. What is your thought that rocks? You know, thanks for for that. You know, the the thought that rocks really is understanding that we do not overcome adversity. We create these new normals. That was what that blew me away. Right. So I was like, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Well, in this time that we are in right now, I don't know that there's a more thoughtful uh, thought <laughs> behind this. <laughs> so can you unpack that a little bit for us? Where, where did that come from? Yeah, so I was preparing uh, probably for that TEDx that you were talking about. And I was really about to, to call the organizer and tell him that, uh, you know what, I don't have it. It's not it's not here. Uh, I don't have a, a, a great idea. And he said, I'll just think of, you know, just think about it some more. And, and, and as I was having lunch with a friend of mine, you said in the, in the show opening introduction that I'm an amputee mm-hmm. and we were having lunch. And I, I said to him, uh, as we're going back and forth on this whole TEDx thing, you know, if I overcame the amputation of my left leg, I would have my leg back. Hmm. And then he, he paused and said, oh, yeah. And that was the beginning of this thought, this thread that started unraveling and you know the longer i pulled on the more the more that was there um and so when you think about it right people were thinking for me that what i overcame was my amputation but that's not correct yeah and we softly or will not go deep enough usually into our own lives and we think that the adversity that we're actually going through is what we're overcoming and it's really our attitude and our thoughts about what we're going through 
and who has placed them there and who we're hanging around that are driving our belief systems to why we do or do not get over that adversity that we're, 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 uh, we're facing at the time. Mm-hmm. And that became the thing. So when you think about all the, the challenging times that we're in right now, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's you know George Floyd or whatever we might be in right now, the thing that we're trying to wrestle with is how are we going to redefine our life in, in these moments? What is it that we're going to amputate to embrace a new normal mindset? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you started at least explaining because I think when I first saw your quote, you know, particularly about overcoming adversity, I've almost been taught over the years. I think most people say, you know, you can overcome anything. You need to overcome adversity. So to hear somebody say you don't, you've got to create a new normal. And by the way, I know that you've been saying this a long time before COVID-19, before people are you, because we, (laughs) Brand and I talk about this, we can't stand people saying this is the new normal. And I'm sure some people are rallying around that and they think their lives probably are going to be different. But when you say the new normal, you know, maybe just explain that a little bit more as to how, how that's been a, a factor in your life. Absolutely. Uh, so the new normal, just to kind of jump right in there, to me, it's not as people have been using it out there. And I'm glad they're using it. You know, it's just, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, it's how they're trying to articulate and come through their redefining moment. But the new normal really is not a destination. The new normal is only a plateau to grow. Mm. Because new, and when you look at the word, right, new is no prior point of reference. And then normal is the everyday typical occurrence of a thought or an action. So therefore, what are the rituals and the things we're putting in place uh, that will elevate us from what we think was normal? What we're finding out in in these times that you will hear people also use the word uncertainty, these uncertain times, these times are uncertain, times, certain, sometimes. Um, And what they're saying is I have no control. I'm realizing I have no control over what my future is. And because that was taken away, they're scrambling. They're they're fearful. They're trying to to really hold on to what they can. That's why they have runs on toilet paper <laughs> because that's a, that's a thing that we can hold on. I, at least I have control over my own bowel movement. Right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so it's, it's um, so we gravitate to those things and we don't really go deep because we really don't have the control that we thought we had. You know, I was just outside of my porch last night. I'm, you know, I was working outside and I just looked up in the air and I realized Maybe somebody else has realized it for now, but there are no airplanes flying over here. There's planes flying all the time. I live in Colorado, and there are no planes that are flying over. I can look up at any given time and see five, four or five airplanes in the air. Or contrails that they had been. (laughs) Right, absolutely. And so there's, there's nothing that's there right now. And so we realize that we really didn't have as much control as we did. So how do we gain that control back? Mm-hmm. And it was it was my wife that, my wife Alice, who really I owe, I contribute this to, I, I attribute this to, when I was at my lowest moment in the hospital, my leg was just freshly amputated, and now all the fears had come in. Who am I now? What's my identity? Is my wife gonna stick around? Is my son still gonna see me as his father? Do I still have a job in the United States Army? I'm supposed to go to officer candidate school. 
Hmm. My Olympic dreams are over. Yeah. All these things were crushing and hitting me at one time. And maybe some of your listeners out there are thinking the same thing with, yeah. with the, the environment that they're in right now. Yeah. You know, what's my life like now? And it was my wife when she wheeled me outside to an inaccessible playground. There's, there's um, rocks, uh, gravel, and I'm parked there to watch my, my son and my wife play on the swing set. And I couldn't push myself out of that chair and gentlemen, I lost it. I started crying uncontrollably mm, yeah. because I said, I can't even push myself out of this wheelchair to go play with my son. Um, and it all hit me at one time. And she saw me struggling. And she comes running over to me and says, what is going on, babe? And I, and I just articulated to her all of my fears. And then she said, you know what, John, we're going to get through this together. This is just our new normal. Hmm. Uh, and... <laughs> I, I it took me a long time to understand what she really said in the depths of that of that phrase. Yeah. But what I understood was every single day is new. Every yeah. single day we have new opportunities. And if we only think it's a destination, we're looking at sustainability. And sustainability is not what I, I think of my opinion is not the greatest word in the world. <laughs> yeah. Because if, you, if you're sustaining something, you're, you're not trying to elevate. You're not trying to move forward. You're not trying to advance. <laughs> if Olympians and Paralympians were in sustainment moment, then their training for the Olympic Games and Paralympic Games four years from now would be the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So but the words are sitting. Yeah. Uh, basically, this is Alice's thought, is what you're saying. It's new normal. Really, we need to be talking to her. Uh, is what, that's what I got out of what you just said. I'm kidding. Right. Well, I think it's, uh, as I'm sort of processing everything that you're saying, and, and I can't even imagine what you uh, were going through in that moment, John, but it's... You know, I look at sort of the times that we're in right now, and I think this thought um, that you've just unpacked for us has so much in it. Um, a couple of the things that you just said here is, you know, we're in the middle of, of another sort of a civil unrest moment. And, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and trying to battle police brutality and all of these things. And if you just looked at it on the surface, as you just said, I think some of that could be mistaken as just overcoming adversity, but that's not going to have the type of systematic change that we need to see something different. That's going to require us to examine our thoughts, to examine our values, to ask the question, who are we? Who do we want to be more than just overcome the adversity of the moment? You know, it's not just about this moment. It's about going much deeper than that um, to create what the new normal is actually going to look like. Um, I find it incredibly easy to just overlook all of the depth of, of what you are referring to in this by just going, well, we're just overcoming the moment. You know, once the moment's over, mm -hmm. then we can just move forward. But that's not what you're saying mm -hmm. at all. What you're saying is we actually have to go deep to figure out, you know, you had to sit there and say, who do I want to be? Is this who right. I want to be? And and that's a much different conversation than just saying, I, I need to figure out how to walk again. I need to figure out how I'm going to play with my son. That is, that is overcoming this little 
this little thing, but it's not who you're going to be as as a human, as a man, who, who is it that you want to be perceived as? And I think that's the larger conversation that happens in your thought. Is that, would you say that's sort of the idea? Yeah, it, it, you definitely have to go deep. And I think there, there are levels upon levels, like it's like in Shrek, right? Shrek says, <laughs> Oga, right? <laughs> Ogres are like onions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you pick parfait? Everybody likes parfait. <laughs> onions. What do you mean, the stinky? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Great movie. Uh, so, you know, and that's exactly right. We have to go deep because we'll hear things like you just referred to, you know, Black Lives Matter, and you have other folks that are <clears throat> on another side of the coin saying, well, all lives matter. Well, no one said that all lives, that Black Lives Matter does not mean that all lives don't matter. It's just that means Black lives are the ones that are under duress. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, we're not seeing other lives and, and, and the duress and what's going on right now. When we were talking about COVID-19, we're talking, this is a global thing. And and what, what people have seen on the on police brutality, it's a global thing now. It's not... Mm-hmm. So you have to say, okay, there's something else that's going on deeper here than just my little world of what I used to think about. I need to get down. If, if I could, ha- if I had a dollar for everybody that's called me to say how am I feeling and all this stuff <laughs> that's going on right now, you know, I'd be a, I'd be a rich man right now. Um, but you know, that's exactly right because we we ha- le- fear has a language, and the language of fear is that we say, um, if I can just get it back, if I just get back to the way it was, mm-hmm. I can just get back to who I used to be. I just can't wait till all this is over so we get back to the way it used to be. That is a fearful statement because we don't want to change. We mm-hmm. want things to just matriculate. Right. If I can just get back to who I was. So, but you can't get back there because there's been too much time that is, has trans, transpired. I mean, it's expired. There's too much time between now what you've learned and what you've gone through and then your resilience muscle hopefully has been uh, strengthened during this time that you can't go back to the way it was. You have to be looking forward to what is coming. And even though you can't put your finger on it, you can't put your finger on it for because you think on this uncertainty and I don't have control. Well, just that's a part of it. You know, you got to relinquish that control of what you think is that you used to have control over and control what you you know you can mm-hmm. but but in that space right it begins to morph and it begins to shift and there are really three things i talk about when i keynote uh either virtually or or you know in person is on the fear side of it my first fear was i had to battle my individual fears of alice not staying with me or john Jr. not seeing him that's that's very internal right that's yeah, very sure. close to it then as the circle or the, the lens goes outward, the next one is the people that are kind of closest to me. And they will they don't know how to really handle this amputation. So they begin to say things that try to uh, fit me back into their box. Oh, I, I get it. You know, you're going to be back. You'll be back doing all this other stuff. and Or they're, they're trying to make themselves feel comfortable. So I frame it as other people believing for me what I can or cannot do, which is based upon what they believe they could or could not do if they were in my situation. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's my second one. And the third one is societal. So societal fears are who are we listening to that's driving our thought process to make us have the fears in the the first place that we do not have control over. You know, when I watch Walt Disney and I see Captain Hook, I'm six years old and 
Captain Hook's the villain and Peter Pan. I'm, I'm scared of him because he's an amputee. Yeah. But wait a minute. Now I'm an amputee. So right. people would be afraid of me. So we associate these mm. things with us that society puts on us and tells us. That's why people are so afraid and clutch their purses and um, uh, with, with when a, a black male approaches. And they're so deathly afraid of them because they've only known what society has told them about them. So they, you know, most people in, the, in America do not own a passport. Yeah, right. Right? So let's say, say 40% do. So that means 40% may have gone out of the country. And if you don't travel and you don't see things outside the United States, then where are you getting your information from? Right. And most people of those haven't even left their own state. It's true. So that is, that's a dangerous place to be in when you're trying to have a cultural experience <clears throat> of who people are and show how they show up around the world when you only know one state yeah that's hard it is hard we've i experienced some of that in um playing festivals over in the uk with my band you know it was i was always blown away by how much i felt like they had their finger on the pulse of the world and not just the pulse of their country mm-hmm. and right. um which is very different uh, here in the very states different. where it's you know you have the you have the finger on the pulse of your town or city <laughs> maybe your state but beyond that it's like I don't care what happens in Georgia. I don't care what happens in North Carolina. <laughs> what does that have to do with me? And it's right. It's again goes back to who do you want to be, right? It's a it's the things that unite us, those values that unite us, those thoughts that unite us, and not yeah. this. Well, you know, uh, it, it's the same thing. Of we see it a lot here. Um, people who don't experience hurricanes, um, yeah, or right. you know, or places where they have tornadoes uh, uh where these sorts like of things are yeah. right and so for us it becomes in a new normal right you know right. that there's a season that you're going to have to be prepared for and you're going to have to board up and you're going to have to do some things that somebody um you know that in vermont isn't going to have to deal with or or understand what you go through or what it's like to have to ride these things out and be at the mercy of something that's out of your control um sure. but um and and, and yeah. sympathy set and sympathy and some people aren't they're not empathetic to it they become sympathetic to it. They say, and that's sympathy right. says in their language, they say, well, just move. That's right. You shouldn't have to go. Yeah. Right. So that's, sucks like, to no, be you. This is my home. Yeah. Will, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. But those crazy leave changes up in Vermont. That's right. That's right. We got <laughs> really? to prepare for that. I, I think the work that you get a chance to do, Brant, I know now you, you spend a lot of time talking more about values, and that fits in a lot with what John's talking about. But mm-hmm. I think also in your first book, which was all about how to deal with change and crisis and you know in general and adversity whatever it is Mm -hmm. and of course i'll never go through the type of things that you've had to deal with with your son or or john with you know with his situation as well i know i went through a personal development course in the 90s and one of the things that as part of that it would talk about how do you deal with adversity and they would use a computer metaphor that you know if you think of yourself as being the programmer versus the program versus the computer whatever the output is is that you always get to decide you get to choose and so if you have that mentality of saying listen my life's not dictated i decide i choose you know i control my entire life all my decisions and actions and i think when i think about this even in you know the situations that are going on whether it's globally or in somebody's backyard 
you still have the ability to respond according to your values. And so you can totally freak out if you want to. You could, you know, act with rage. You could sit back and think, you know, a little bit more strategically. You could communicate more. I mean, it's probably easier said than done. But I think if you're authentic and you sit well with your values and say, this is how I am. And, and the reason I bring this up is you, I, I never freak out about anything. Never. I mean, I probably used to at some point, but I think now I'm at the point when something happens to me, I'm pretty calm and pretty rational. I choose my response. That to me has become my new normal because I know for a fact there's a space between stimulus and response and stuff's going to happen, but how I'm actually going to act and behave and talk with other people I get to choose what that is. And I guess my question might be, as I'm throwing it both to you, Brian, and to John, how do you deal with some of this, you know, this adversity, which is happening in the country, happening around the world, or in both of your cases, you've had some adversity personally happen to you. How do you use your values to then respond in such a way that you're true to yourself, but also you can affect change, if you will. So kind of a, you know, either of you, whoever wants to jump on that. Well, I'll I'll just say this, and John, I'll, I'll flip it over to you. But sure. you know, for me, uh, you know, uncertainty. Are, are, we're just biologically wired to to despise uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Our brains don't want anything to be uncertain, so it 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 will try to make things certain for us, even if they are incorrect. Um, it just wants to feel certain, and so. You know, in that in that first book, we wrote about the this idea of how do you battle that feeling, and it's really through uh, uh, two things: vulnerability and forgiveness. Um, you have to be vulnerable enough to ask yourself some really tough questions. The reason, Jim, that you can uh, process these things is because you've gotten vulnerable enough with yourself to understand some really deep truths within you that allows you to hold on to those when emotional tornadoes come your way. You've mm-hmm. got you've got the ability to stand firm. Um, on the other side, and I think this is the thing that's often um, missed, is forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness plays such a central role in our lives, both for ourselves and our relationships around us, that often it gets overlooked. And and it starts with with being able to forgive ourselves. Um, you know, the, we we beat ourselves up because we failed a certain way, or or we felt a certain way, and we felt bad about it, and we start to feel shame, and we start to feel all these things that that make us feel unworthy or make us feel less than and if we can't forgive ourselves for feeling that way, um, it makes it really hard to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so to me, um, vulnerability and forgiveness are, are two sides of the same coin. And, and you have to be able to, to move between each one of them. One, to say, this is really uncomfortable for me to ask myself these questions. Um, we get afraid of who we might think we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so the deeper we dive there, the ability to forgive ourselves for things that, that we are ashamed of um, becomes monumental in our ability to move forward. Is that, what would you say, John, to, on, on your side of things? I, I, I agree. Um, the, I, and, and the framing of it, you know, I, I really went through a lot of, uh, just a lot of unpacking it um, over, over the past couple of years. You know, this is my injury happened in 1994, and I'm really mm. going through understanding 
the my my process. So my process, when you're answering the question right, for how I'm showing up and telling people is because I now have a resolve in who I am. Yeah. And there's a language around resolve too, and I'll get to that in a second. But at first, after I, I, we identified those fears, fear of self, fear of others, and then societal, yeah. then we're on this track of rebuilding, right? We think we're going to get it back, and that's where it comes in where if I just get my leg back, you know, everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh, and we think that, and we start building upon that path, and we're redefining ourselves on those terms, which is not really a, a, a solid foundation. And so we are thinking about, okay, am I going to show up to how my friends see me, how my family sees me, how society sees me, or is there something else? Is there something else as I'm redefining myself that might be that I don't see for myself? For example, how do I walk and show up as an amputee? So as I'm wrestling with that, I have to make the conscious decision, whether it's after three seconds, three minutes, three days, three years, you know, 30 years of what is it in my life that I need to amputate Mm -hmm. in order for me to release me to a rebirth. Yeah. And that rebirth is, I don't know how to walk as an amputee. I don't know how to use a, a prosthetic. I don't know how to run. I don't know how to drive a car. I don't know how to respond to people who um who who point and stare and say hey there goes robot man there goes robot man right (laughs) um i don't know all these things yet and so i'm relearning these things and it's really a rebirthing of all this stuff to to learn it over again but after i do i get strong enough and once i'm strong enough there is a resolve yeah and that resolve is a resolution. I'm resolute in who I am. I, I am so far on understanding how I show up in society that it's no longer for me to go back to what my friends thought or what my family thinks or what society thinks. You need to catch up to where I am. Mm-hmm. And that language came when I won the silver medal and I'm in the elevator going down with Lucas Christian who won the gold medal. And he's, he's I'm, I'm looking at the melodies and he's from Switzerland. He says, um, Switzerland, he says, it feels good, doesn't it, John? I said, oh, my gosh, you know, you have no idea. I mean, this is awesome. 20 years worth of work. And, you know, there, there's a whole whole other rift I do on on entitlement, which which is, you know, people said, well, you didn't win gold. You know, you didn't win silver. You lost the gold. I said, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I earned this, man. And just as you as somebody else earned third and somebody else earned fourth. Can you can you be satisfied with what you earn, the effort that you put into it? I had to lose a limb to get to earn the silver medal. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. that was and so that's a different mindset. Then a reporter asked me who knew me from uh, when I ran track and field for Arkansas and was a four time All American, said, you know, hey, you ran against or you jumped against Carl Lewis and you you ran against Michael Johnson. Do you think with artificial limb technology that you could do the same thing? Um and I thought about her question for a moment, and I, and I said, "No, I, I don't think I, I don't think I don't believe I could." But maybe the the better question to ask is, you know, God forbid if Michael Johnson or Carl Lewis lost a limb, could they run as fast or jump as far as I do? Mm-hmm. I like and that, that is the language of the uh, the resolve. Yeah, uh, that you need to catch up to where I am right now. I'm not going back to you. If hey, you can you can fake that all lives matter like this, right? Mm -hmm. But you need to catch up and understand that when I say that, this is what I mean. And you need to empathize with me to say, and recognize I've had a different experience than somebody else. Yeah. You know, when I'm laying in bed and my son, this real story, 
you know, I had a, one of my uh, fraternity brothers who's a police officer. My son was going back to school uh, down in Texas, and he had a, we had an old beat-up Mercedes, right, 2002, 4 by 40 For those that don't know what that is, you got to roll the windows down <laughs> to get the air conditioner on. Uh, so, <laughs> at 40 miles an hour. Uh, so, so that's a 4 by 40 um, so, um, so I had a police officer, a friend of mine, he comes to the house and I say, you know, he's got to go through Texas and get back to school in Colorado. Could just look over the car and make sure everything's fine. So, we, you know, we did the lights, we did the, the, the turn signals, we did the, the tail lights, make sure everything's working. We made sure that we took off the vanity plate where you have, sometimes people have the vanity plates and it covers up the, the, um, um, sticker. the month and yeah. sticker. Yeah. yeah sticker. Yeah. So we took that off, made sure that was fine. And I said, John, now, you know, when you get, when you get as, as a black man driving this Mercedes, you're, you're and young, you're probably going to get pulled over. Um, and I said, this is what you have to do. You need to take your, the registration cannot be in the glove compartment. Just make sure it's really close to you and your driver's license is right there. So everything is, is up, up top. So we got the call, uh, as he made his trip, he started off at six o'clock in the evening time, you know, like college kids, like we all do. And, and you're going to drive, you know, all night to get to your destination, right? You want to hang out with your friends back here. And so at, at one o'clock in the morning, he's in, he's crossing into Texas, not more than 20 minutes into Texas, he gets pulled over. And he calls my, his, his mom and myself, we're in the bed, and we are terrified because we do not know why he stopped. Yeah. We know the car is good. He is obeying the traffic, so he does, he's obeying everything, um, there's no reason that he has gotten pulled over and there's no reason as he left the phone on for us to hear the conversation that the police officer has. So we are sitting up in our bed terrified. Do we get our clothes on? Do we need to go down to this place? Is this going to, is this going to end poorly for him? Right. Yeah. Uh, and for our family, I don't know how many of my uh, European friends have that, that experience, yeah. Yeah. but they're beginning to hear that now and beginning to empathize with us, you know, as my father told me, as I tell my son, as he tells his daughter, right, that this is something that is a, almost a rite of passage of this fear that comes in. So it's a very different experience. And it doesn't mean that I don't empathize or, you know, have other things uh, that, that happen uh, in my life with other other individuals. I said, this is this is my experience and experience of many others who are incarcerated at the rate of seven times more than everyone else. So it's a so as we're looking at this in this new normal, there is a way to um, to have this resolve and this resolution, and that equals our liberation. We're free, mm-hmm. and we're free from the the, the thought. I'm not going to live my life underneath that that fear. I, I just refuse to do it. I'm, do I know it's there? Absolutely, but I'm not going to live my life dictated by it. Yeah. And once you're in that moment. Now you are strong enough to go back and help somebody else through their fears. Yeah. Well, and you get a chance now to talk about it on bigger stages and just by sharing your story probably either helps people understand, you know, that other side, or if you're in that same situation, they clearly understand they've gone through something I'm sure like that in their past. Sure. And hopefully you're able to give them a little bit more of a, of a pathway. And I think when we start thinking about how we can overcome diversity, it probably fits perfectly. I would think Brant with our, our thought as well, that, that hopefully corresponds well with John's. What is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number two. Well, our thought that rocks comes from 
uh, one of my favorite people in, in history, and that's St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, and the thought is this, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. Now, I look at this on a couple of different levels. First of all, uh, interesting side note, there has been more um, books written and uh, articles written and movies about St. Francis than anybody else in, in human history, which I think says a lot hmm. about uh, that. the character of St. Francis. Um, but when I look at this thought, um, and I got to tell you, John, I'm having like a, a a massive aha moment with you. Um, something that I've never thought of it in this way, but it's completely changing my approach to, to the current times. Um, so I look at this and, and start by doing what's necessary. What you are saying is sometimes we have to look at amputating something in our life. Um, and that's, that's the necessary part. We have to figure out what it is we need to amputate to do what's possible and what's possible becomes that new normal. And then suddenly you're doing the impossible. And I look at that in, in the example of your life and, and what you went through, you, you had this amputation happen. You have to figure out what's possible from that point forward. And before you know it, you're, you're winning medals. Yeah. You, you are, you're doing things that when you sat at that park in that wheelchair, I'm sure you never thought that that was possible in that mm. moment. And, and the big giant aha I'm having right now is I think we are sitting here talking about what needs to change and how our thoughts need to change if we want to see uh, change happen. And, and I think a much clearer picture is what do we need to amputate? Because change means you can always change back. <laughs> but amputation forces you to move forward. You can't go backwards. You can't just snap your fingers and, and get your leg back like you once had. So this idea of amputation really forces us to, to not be able to return to a previous state. And that I have never thought of the current moment that we're in right now in that way. And I have to tell you that it's, it's, it's shaking me a little bit to think about I think it's easy for us to decide what we want to change it, it. And even if we do the, the opportunity to slide backwards is always there. It's always there. Yep. But if we think of it as an amputation, it takes that away. It takes the safety net away and forces us to move forward. And I just, I think that is a revolutionary thought mm -hmm. as to how we move forward in this time. Yeah, you cannot go back once you make that choice. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, um, it is. It's and it's a choice for for many people. It's a choice for some people. It's it's a um, you know it happens. Yep. During trauma or something. Sure. But you know, many people that have diabetes or something, they make the choice to do it. And whether it's our when you when you take it there to our ideologies, our thoughts, our belief system and structure, you know, we are in a moment right now that uh that i think is it's very interesting because I, I only think that the reason that mr floyd's case is kind of going global right now is because the entire world has been sitting yeah. inside mm -hmm. with covid yep and now they're in a space to hear uh to listen to listen and then hear 
And then what can I do? Because that just they're wrestling with. I never saw this before. Yes. Well, you did. You just you just did not pay attention to it because you're busy with your own lives. It's like yeah. we go back to the the conversation of us um, talking about somebody in one particular state. Yeah. You know, Florida doesn't really matter to me because I live in Colorado. That's right. right. So that's. Um, and so now we're seeing how connected we all are because of COVID and we're all trying to, to um, stay inside and quarantine together. And then we see this, which is the antithesis of what we have known. And so now we're kind of getting what we call in our community kind of getting woke yeah, situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that's, is a, that's a real different, I have to do something with this now, right? I can no longer look at this and either say that that is either right or wrong. I know that that's got to be wrong, but I'm wrestling with it because I've had these other thoughts and ideologies before, and it may not be lining up what I, what I, what I just saw. Mm-hmm. And then how many more times? So my question is not to you know, empathize with the Floyd family as much right there, is to look at Officer Chauvin and say, let's pull his case file. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back and see. And anybody else that's that has, you know, been caught in that situation like this. Let's pull the case files. Um, let's let's look at the laws of how his wife just divorced him because he's looking. We're looking at because this is a play card of the um, of the way that these things happen. If you know that somebody may get convicted or get off, it's more of the thing. And then a, a civil lawsuit happens. So if they're divorced, the assets are protected. Yeah, I, th- I think so when, that's, yeah. when I'm listening to to you know the right now we're going through this season like that we're going through something that's horrific in the country. But Brian, you just said something earlier. You're not going to be yeah. able to go back, right? right? And we all no. know that. But by moving forward, and I don't even want to say the end result, whatever comes out of this, you have to believe that you know, something great could come out of this. And, and every, I think a lot of people are pretty hopeful, maybe not right at this moment, but, you know, as, as bad as, as things are, and maybe were even a week ago, you got to believe that things are going to, are going to get better. Right. And so I, I think regardless of the adversity, you know, whether you lose a partner, a career, uh, a limb, yeah. right. I think it's devastating, but you take these, you know, if you go back to, uh, you know, sissy's quote here, you take these baby steps, you take these little wins to first, probably when you look at the first part of the thought, you, you just survive, right? Then you make yeah. progress when you didn't think you could. And then eventually you have a new job, you have a new love, you have a new, you know, career. Maybe you've got self-mobility, whatever it is. And it just reminds me, we had somebody on the show um, several months ago, a good friend of ours named Sarah Morrissey, who mm-hmm. in my mind was kind of going through this. She had just gone through a divorce. She she absolutely out in the public domain says that she walks with mental illness. She had a huge job change, you know, something that she was doing completely different. She was hit by a car. Yeah. She had oh. she had you know admitted that she had just been sexually assaulted, and then mm-hmm. you know all of this stuff was piled on. You go six months later, she's engaged. She's got a great job. She was president of an association that we're both a part of. So. I, you know, I look at your first thought and I'm trying to combine it also with the one that, that Brant that we shared and say, you know, you start off with these small little wins. And although it's super, super tough right now, like again, both of you guys have gone through, but eventually there's going to be some awesomeness that comes out of it. You have to believe that, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, for me, it's a couple of things. One is start by doing what's necessary. Uh, I think that's the big debate is what's necessary <laughs> because what you think is necessary might not be what I think is necessary. And, yeah. and the difference between change and amputation is monumental. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that number one, secondly, I agree with that, you know, unintentional change, which is what we've all faced. We're, we're in this moment where we are facing, you know, we talk about in the book that there's two types of change. There's intentional change you want to make and there's unintentional change you're forced to take. And we are all in this unintentional change right now. Um, but I find it I, almost hopeful that it took a pandemic to face a pandemic. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and we sort of, as you just said, John, you know, this forcing us inside, forcing us to sort of self-quarantine and all these sorts of things um, has forced us to face another pandemic of, of racism that, that has just gone, you know, for, for, for a couple hundred years now of, of trying to fix something that needed to be fixed a long time ago. And we've never been able to do it for a variety of reasons. And, and I think part of it comes back to this idea of we've never amputated some of the things that have to go away for us to move forward. Mm -hmm. We can't create a new normal without it. And, it, and I think it's, um, gosh, man, it's such a brilliant, it is such a brilliant thought mm -hmm. that, um, I don't even know. I, honestly, I don't even know what to say. It is something that has got me thinking completely differently about the word change and what that means. <laughs> so I, I, I can't thank you enough for, for bringing that to us today. It's been an incredible, incredible time talking to you. What is the best way for people to stay in touch with you if they want to continue to follow you on your journey and stay connected? What's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, the, the best way uh, now is, you know, my website is uh, johnregister.com, johnregister.com. Uh, when I was doing a lot of travel and I was on Instagram a lot, I need to get back on, on Instagram, <laughs> which is uh, is John F. Register, John F. Register on Instagram. I'll, I'll get back in on that. I've been doing a lot on YouTube. Yeah, you have. So having some conversations there on YouTube. So that's a great place to kind of see some of these thoughts coming out in various forms and talking to different people. Uh, and then uh, and I do it on LinkedIn. So I have those things that come up into LinkedIn as well. So some of those videos will show up there. And then the podcast, which is called Life's New Normal Podcast, which is all about introducing people to um, uh, individuals who have overcome their whatever the challenge was but they understand it from that the terms that we just talked about today and they're now in, in the space of that resolve to give back to others so that's what that show is all about that's awesome we're just so honored that you had a chance to spend a little bit of time with us we can't thank you enough and we hope to follow your journey and, and see you down the road oh i am so honored to be on this show thank you so much for the time and uh continue to change those lives and we say go forth and inspire your world Love it. Thanks, bro. Appreciate All of us. That. We'll talk to you soon. Rock on. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Yeah, and if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we both used to be exclusively represented by Kepler speakers. But now it's just me. Brant is on his own. So to hire Brant, good luck getting a hold of him. 
for me or both of us, contact us directly at thoughtsthatrock.com. Until next time, rock rock on. on!